Hello, and welcome back to the Winning with Connections, the WWC podcast. This is Lauren Weiner, and I am here with Greg Porter and Bill Staley, both who work now for WWC uh, as subject matter experts in our financial management practice, but both of whom are very much expert in the federal budget process, as well as have been customers of government contracting firms over the years. Greg's last position in the government before he retired and came over to WWC was as the Deputy Comptroller of U.S. Fleet Forces Command in the Navy. Bill was previously the Deputy Comptroller for the U.S. Army Financial Management Command, use of FIMCOM. I will let both of them introduce themselves. Greg, you want to go first? Sure. Uh, my name's Greg Porter. And um, just a little bit about myself um, and my background. I joined the Navy back in 1980 and served 21 years active duty in, in the Navy. Mainly, my career was as an operational logistician until the, the very tail end of my career when I was assigned to a Navy base in Naples, Italy, where I um, was the comptroller, a uh, financial management position for the first time. That was back in 1999 when I started my financial management career. I then retired from the Navy at that point in 2001. I did a short stint in private sector where I was the vice president of information technology for a restaurant company out in um, the west coast of the United States. And then I got an offer that I couldn't refuse to go back and support the Navy as a civil servant in 2003, where I was the comptroller standing up an organization in London for the first Navy region, regional finance center in Europe. And so I did that for several years. From there, I moved on and I was in different roles as executive director, business manager, and also comptroller of various organizations over my 15 years of civil service. I finally retired from Fleet, U.S. Fleet Forces Command in 2018. And shortly thereafter, I wound up, as Lauren said, working for WWC as a subject matter expert. And you were actually one of our first customers uh, in Naples, Italy in 2005. Uh, That's right. Which kind of goes back all the way to our founding, which is kind of funny when you were the comptroller. So so we've known you for 15 years now. 15 years, yeah. And Bill, do you want to give us a little bit of your background as well? Sure. I served 28 years as an active duty soldier in the Army. I started out as an armor officer, so I rode uh, tanks, deployed uh, as with armor units uh, for a number of years. Later on in my career, then I began to get into Army comptrollership. Most of that was in uh, the European theater. Later, I retired as a colonel in the Army and and I moved directly into on the Army civilian side again in in Europe. I was the budget officer for the United States Army in Europe. I was over there for a number of years, so I served as a, a U.S. Army civilian for 15 years. Most of that time was in the Euro European theater. I worked my way up as a senior executive. I was still in Europe as a senior executive for working for the Army in the European theater. Decided it was time to come back to the U.S. In 2017, I relocated from, uh, from, from Germany, went to 
United States Army Financial Management Command, a new Army command co-located with DFAS in um, Indianapolis, Indiana. I was the deputy of uh, the Financial Management Command in in Indy for uh, two years when I decided to retire and join WWC. I've been with WWC since uh, the beginning of this uh, calendar year and enjoying it. Yeah. So, so WWC is obviously a financial management kind of heavy firm. Um, but I don't want to talk about the, the intricacies of financial management as we do them for our customers. What I want to talk about is the basics of government finance for people who don't know it and are trying to leverage government money, essentially, uh, to get contracts. So most people don't quite understand, although some people I think are coming out of when they're starting companies are coming out of the government space. But a lot of people who aren't and even a lot of them that are may not fully understand the budget cycle and what the rules around government money uh, are. So one of the things I think most people do understand is that the federal fiscal year runs October 1st to September 30th. Correct. Right. What is the significance of that? And that's a really loaded question, I realize. Well, I think from my, my view, the significance of that is, well, one, you, you have some appropriations that DOD receives are one-year appropriations. Some are two, three, and five years. It just depends upon the category of that appropriation. But I would say the majority of contracting, especially with uh, small business, is within the operation and maintenance appropriation, which is a one-year appropriation. So the government has from 1 October to 30 September to what is called obligate all the funds that they received in that operation and maintenance appropriation. So in in terms of the cycle of a fiscal year, um, me as comptroller in my past life, you know, I, I would look at the beginning of the fiscal year is a major part of the cycle when you're going to be awarding contracts and or reawarding options on contracts. And as you progress through the year, you, you go through a cycle of um, mid-year review, which happens around March, April time frame in the fiscal year. And that's when the services may ultimately pick up some additional dollars from things that they desired in their budget but were unfunded. And sometimes that can be a um, significant amount of money. Sometimes it's not a lot. But as you're looking at the cycle of the fiscal year, one of the things to pay attention to is, you know, the beginning of the year, that's when folks are looking at um, possibly awarding contracts because that's when they get the new appropriation. The timing after that is after mid-year review where funds get distributed after mid-year review, say in the June-July timeframe, that's another point um, of interest in terms of contracting. And if you're looking at business with the government between June to July through the end of the fiscal year, as you remember, I said everything has to be obligated by the end of the fiscal year. That's that's a really good time to be lobbying with the government and and working with your points of contact in small business offices and and whatever. Because of the nature of the beast, those funds have to be obligated. And if there's nothing else to spend that money on, then a lot of times uh, program managers and comptrollers will be looking at new contracts that that are things that they need to get done, but maybe weren't 
a high enough priority to obligate at the beginning of the fiscal year. So that's kind of the cycle as I see it with within at least the operations maintenance appropriation. And when you say obligated, this is one of the things that I think gets some people. Um, you have to obligate the funding by midnight on on September 30th if it's that year's money. So if it is in this case, we're talking we're we're still in fiscal year 2020. By September 30th of 2020, I have to obligate the money for in order not to lose that money that is essentially last year's money at that point. But you then have how long to be able to spend that money once it's obligated? How long does it take before the money runs out? Do you have an unlimited time to actually spend it? Can you obligate it for, you know, seven more years so you can take I don't know, something that's going to that's going to cost a million a year and throw seven million at it um, with that year's money. How does that work? So the, the way that works is, as you've said, you know, by 30 September midnight, you have to have the funds obligated. And so when the funds are obligated, that means you have, say, entered into a contract. And once the contract is awarded, the funds then get obligated, which is uh, a legal set aside of funds within that appropriation for the contract that was just awarded. Now, in the operation and maintenance uh, appropriation, for instance, after that first year, the term is at, at the end of 30 September that appropriation expires, which means no new obligations with few exceptions can be made within that appropriation. Now, the accounting for that appropriation runs for another five years. So we have at the end of the fiscal year, you have a lot of things that are obligated that are not yet liquidated in other words fully um liquidated contract paid out contract closed out and so a contract may run for you know you may award a contract on 30 september but it runs through the entirety of the next fiscal year using that let's say fiscal year 2020 funds so you have the ability to execute a contract for the entire next fiscal year for one year from the date that that contract was awarded. And again, the last day is 30 September. So you could have a contract that runs from 30 September to the following year, 29 September, and that's the execution of that contract. And so you have a full year after that to actually work that contract. Now, in the case of option years and so on, that gets into you know the, the next fiscal year, say in 2021, if you have an option year in that contract, then the command that you have that contract with would have to exercise that option, which normally would be something that would happen in the June-July timeframe to set you up for another year on, on that contract. And that would be paid for out of, in, in the case that we're describing, fiscal year 2021 funds. I love your optimism on that happens in the June timeframe um, because I, I think most of that we have a a group of contracts that are all within uh, September 20th to 29th to 30th uh, timeframe every single year. And every year we are nail biting uh, on at least one of them uh, through the end of the time that they're going to expire. My daughter was actually born on September 29th, and I argued with the doctor that really could we just push it to October 1st because her birthday is going to be awful every year. And every year her birthday is after her her birthday party is after her birthday. 
um, for those reasons, because it's it's always a, a nail biter at the end. Bill, you were going to say something. Yeah, well, I was just going to say something. You know, you know we're talking about uh, um, operations and maintenance mm-hmm. money funding, right. and that's a one year uh, account. <clears throat> and there's sometimes, you know, I would get asked, well, you know, how can you obligate dollars on 29 September? And pour it over into the next FY. You know, how can you do that? I thought you can't do that. But we got to remember that, um, you know, that funding is the way or the primary way the uh, legislative branch can control the president and the executive branch. And so they have put, you know, a number of conditions on there and of which that we use and it gets to purpose. What is the money being used for? What is the time or the period of the year? And, and then amount. So purpose, time and amount goes into the, that one year money. And if we keep with the same purpose for what we're using that funding for, as Greg said, you know, in terms of a contract and the conditions of those contracts do not change, then we're permitted to fund that contract on 29 September into the following net, uh, following fiscal year for 365 days. And that's and, and that course, then at the end of that FY, it's always a hectic time. And uh, when a number of contracts are being funded or newer contracts are being funded and you, you have to look at that purpose and the time so you can use that money on 29 September that will carry over into the following fiscal year. Right. Right. Okay. And, and you started touching on, uh, something, Greg, earlier with, with, I'm, I'm going to have some definitions here, uh, because these are the, the things that kind of stump, people stumble on oftentimes. You were talking a little bit about O&M funding in particular, uh, and that there are different types of money, oftentimes called colors of money. Can one of you give me just a really quick rundown of what the different types of money are? We talked about O&M or in the Navy, it's OMEN, um, but uh, and that is one year money that you have one year to to spend. But there are different kinds of money and different uh, time frames associated with those different colors of money. Right. That's correct. Correct. Uh, I'll, I'll take a, I'll take a swing at it and then uh, then Greg can uh, back clean up. You, know, you have <laughs> procurement dollars. That's three-year money. You can use procurement dollars for aircraft, missiles, space command, and the purchase of ammunition. So, you know, in in terms of procurement, that's three-year money. I know that in the Navy, for ships, it's five-year. But then, so you have procurement. Then you have funding for military personnel. That's one-year money. We've already talked about operations and maintenance, which is one-year money, a time limit. And then the other one that we would get involved in a lot is military construction. So that's uh, facilities on posts on federal grounds that would be used. That's five-year money as we build and refresh 
structures. Right. So so depending on the color of money is how long you have to obligate uh, and then liquidate the money. It's always a five year liquidation period, no matter what. Or is it five years after the the term of the money expires or does that change? No, it's always a five year period after the expiration of the appropriation. Okay. And so and then, Greg, you you had a couple of terms that you were talking about in terms and, and these are terms that are legally binding, legally clear terms about obligation, about commitment, about expenditure and about liquidation. Can you walk us through what those actually mean? Right. So when when a program manager is getting ready to enter into a contract or is doing research for a contract and and does all of the research and the command is ready to send over a request for proposal over to the contracting officer, then with that, the command needs to commit the dollars that are estimated, the estimated value of that contract. So a commitment is actually a an administrative set aside of funds. It's not a legal set aside of funds. And so if something happens in the interim as the contract is being awarded and something changes, that up until the point of award, that can all be brought back and that commitment can be reversed. And Mm -hmm. again, there was no legal obligation um, with that commitment. Once the contract goes through its paces and it gets awarded, then the command needs to obligate money against that contract. And an obligation actually turns into a legal set aside of funds where you've, you've made the commitment to that contractor and you have a contract that's been offered and accepted and now you have money set aside to pay that contract based upon the actual value of the contract. So your commitment was an estimate. Your obligation is is actual amount that the contract was awarded for. And then you go through the, the execution of the contract. And so let's say it's a 12 month contract, you know, and, and this then ends up being um, dependent on the type of contract. If it's a firm fixed price contract, then. You know, based upon the hours that are worked on that contract, many times organizations, uh, contractors will basically break it up into twelfths and invoice um, one twelfth per month based upon the fact that it's a firm fixed price contract. And as you incrementally go through the year, then that obligation, let's say it's just a balance like in a bank account, that obligation is then reduced every month based upon the billing. And that's basically a, a one twelfth liquidation of that obligation as you go through the year. And so, therefore, when you get through the end of the year, that contract theoretically would be fully liquidated. Now, there may be some lag time just because of the invoice processing time. And so you may not fully liquidate that contract until you get into the following fiscal year. And that's fine because we're again, we're accounting for that appropriation through the following five years. Um, but you really want to get to the point where you're tracking liquidations and liquidations and expenditure are kind of interchangeable terms. It, it kind of depends upon the financial system that you're working within. But you, you either want to have your your obligation expended or liquidated as, you know, as as promptly as possible based upon the contract terms. And And that's best for everybody. And it's best for the command to do that, partly because if you don't. The, the the longer you have a contract that's out there that is is not liquidated and it's not closed out, the you, you could find during, you know, maybe not during it with a firm fixed price contract, but other types of contracts that there actually is 
money to be recouped at the point of closeout of that contract. And if you recoup those money, the monies after the end of the fiscal year, you bring it back in your balance of that appropriation, but you can no longer spend it. So you kind of left money sitting on the table as you know you were working through the fiscal year. You could have possibly had more money to repurpose to other requirements. Right. I'll, I'll just uh, join in just a bit. Uh, what yes. Greg gave a good explanation of that process, but then there are times when there are contracts and you would receive a bill after that five-year period, um, you know, where the, the appropriation, the FY has, has ended, you had that five-year uh, where the money is like what Greg was talking about, you know, you left it on the table, but you're beyond that and it's lapsed, and then you would receive a bill that you were legally obligated, that you are legally obligated to uh, uh, to pay, and then when those when those bills come in, instead of using that fiscal year's money, you have to pay that bill out of current year funding. Right, right, which is a huge problem. So, it, which causes problems? Yes. Um, and so you really do have to make sure you are tracking through, closing out, um, getting all of those bills paid with the correct year money in order not to uh to to come up with uh with overdue bills that you've got to find scramble and find the money uh from a from a different pot of money. Yep, exactly. Um, and that's why hopefully contracting offices are really good, um some of them are better than others, about contract closeout and making sure, you know, as a government contractor, you might be getting pings from the the contracting office saying are you ready to close this out? Because once you say, yes, I'm ready to close this out, even if you come up with something after the fact, you're done. Um, cause they've, they've closed those, those books as it were. So as a government contractor, how do I fit, you know, particularly as a, as someone who doesn't necessarily know much about the government cycle and the process and whatever, where do I find out where money is going? How do I figure out? Who I should be targeting? Who has money? Are there places where? I mean, is this public? Um, are there? Is it? Is it? You know, feasible for you to understand what the the budget documents look like? Um, you know, where does, for example, the administration, whomever is in office at the time, and the president uh, on the executive branch side, how, how do they signal what their priorities are? Um, how do you find out where the money is going to go after it goes through the entire appropriations process? And how do you use that information to target kind of where your efforts should lie? Well, the the actual federal budget is a public document. So after the appropriations bill is, is signed into law, um, or even prior to it being signed into law, the bill itself is something that you can you can get a hold of now. That's a, a very lengthy and, and somewhat um, esoteric document that yes. is is not necessarily something that is easily comprehensible. And, and, and I don't mean by looking at the numbers, you know, obviously you can comprehend where the money went. But what it doesn't show is, you know, where it went and what it funded particularly and 
it doesn't show how much in that category is still unfunded. In other words, commands are looking for additional money and they actually have shortfalls. So it's kind of hard looking at a, the federal budget document to understand, let's say within DOD, how much money might be available for given programs while, you know, the, the command itself has got their budget, but right. they're looking for more money in, in a given category. So it's kind of right. hard to ascertain that. Right. Well, and it's it's pretty high level. I have actually, and this probably says that I'm a complete and total geek, um, but I have actually looked at the president's budget request um, and and read through pieces of it. There are narrative pieces for the president's budget request. Now, I, I kind of going through the the appropriation cycle, there is a request from the the um, agency which gathers up all of the requests from all the different commands using DOD as an example. So each of the different commands kind of comes up with their budget desires. Requirements. Um, right. Requirements. Right. Um, and they, they requirements is a better word, although oftentimes requirements don't get translated into actual funding, unfortunately, right. but they, they come up with their budget requirements that goes up to in in DOD that goes up through OSD through uh, FMB to the Office of Management and Budget. Check. And OMB collates all of this, makes their own decisions uh, through an extremely lengthy process that that goes back and forth. Um, OMB is a little cruel and they give what's called pass back right over Thanksgiving usually. Uh, so the budget offices are always working through. Thanksgiving and into Christmas on passback. But in February, the generally the president releases his desires, his budget, his request to Congress. Now that's a wish list, right? That, that he does not hold the power of the purse. He holds the executive branch power of spending, but not of appropriations. So that goes off to uh, the Hill for for votes for a whole lot of backdoor deals and horse trading on that. And then the appropriations bill that comes out oftentimes doesn't look much like the president's budget request at all. In my mind, though, and the reason that I uh, look at the the request that goes up to Congress is it shows the administration's priorities and except at the top lines of the budget, the administration has discretion to, to spend within those top lines and within certain cost centers, as it were, or lines of accounting. Um, they have the ability to spend within those as they want up to a, a certain point. So that still does show where they're probably going to spend some of their money. It's a little less than than clear because they don't have that full authority but those that's how that's one of the ways that we've looked at kind of where we think the administration is going to care about spending money. So for us, for example, we've seen over the years, special operations certainly has has taken front uh, seat on any of the budget documents, not necessarily just in the funding itself, but in highlighting the use of, of special operations forces within the military context. So we know that that is likely to be funded 
frankly, both in a Democrat and a Republican administration. And that's one of the things that we targeted uh, as being one of our our agencies of interest, uh, because we knew that they were probably fairly budget proof, or at least somewhat budget proof. Another area, maybe a little more narrowly focused, and, yeah. and you can glean this um, partly from the the budget and and the president's request, but more probably from looking at the different RFIs and RFPs that are coming out of the government, or especially DOD right now, is there is a lot of funding, probably still not enough, but there is a big focus on back to the financial world on consolidation of financial systems mm-hmm. um, and trying to get to within a given service, uh, which I'll talk about Navy. <clears throat> I think Navy has about nine different general ledgers right now, and they're trying to consolidate to one. So there is a big investment in financial system transitions right. um, and so on. There's also a big investment in in audit readiness and, and getting the Department of Defense ready and able to pass uh, independent public accountant audit. So right. those are two areas within the financial world anyway, that there is a lot more investment now than there was, say, five or, or 10 years ago. Right. And so you can kind of look not only at the budgets, but you can look at just the, the types of categories of RFPs and RFIs, and you can kind of judge where the money is is going based on those as well. Right. Right. Is there anywhere that the sub agencies, the commands or even the sub commands release their budget numbers or their priorities? Well, for for at least I'm going to talk in terms of army. Mm-hmm. Army does not normally uh, release its initial requests requests with any what what you you would be looking for, Lauren. Any specificity, right? So you know how much money would be going to the European theater versus the Pacific theater in terms of uh, you know the budget requirements that Pacific region has. Versus what the European region has, so no, I, the army wouldn't wouldn't normally do that. Which actually makes a whole lot of sense, right? Because I don't know that we want to give our enemies exactly visibility uh, right. into into that that level of detail. Uh, but I always get that question. I was going to say the, I mean, the only other way, and again, it's a very broad sense, is. You know, many times um, for individual commands, you can go to their websites and they will have their mission and goals and objectives and their priorities. Right. Which may give you a sense of of where their emphasis is. But again, it's a very broad sense. You know, earlier we were talking about, you know, how big the budget is and Greg gave a good explanation. But there are cascading levels of responsibility and authority you know, as it goes from the federal government and then it's either in the continental United States or it's in the European theater or it's in the southern theater or the Pacific theater, they pass those responsibilities out. And, and again, Lauren, your question was, well, how do you find out certain informations for certain regions, what the priorities are, mm-hmm. um, what are what are the requirements so a contractor could better define their requirements. And it becomes more difficult because 
there are cascading levels of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that when we talk about the budget, unless you have access to information that probably would pose a, an organizational conflict of interest, you really you can't take from the federal budget or, or any of the, the kind of public budget documents anything more than kind of big muscle movements. You can figure out kind of where that that money is, but uh, generally, but you can't figure out anything. But, you know, the Navy is prioritizing, like Greg said, or this is really across DOD, prioritizing uh, audit readiness uh, because we know X amount uh, went into financial systems, for example. But that's that those are the big muscle movements really for most government contractors, just understanding the colors of money when money comes out. And then again, as as we talked about that mid-year review process and funding some of the what, what you will often hear called UFERS, um, under unfunded requests through that mid-year review process or after the mid-year review process is complete uh, to make sure that they've got money uh, captured that they're that they thought they were going to use and, and didn't use somewhere else. So those are the really important things for generally federal government contractors to understand is just how that money flows and how it gets spent and when it gets spent. I was on a podcast the other day, or not a podcast, a, a conference call really with one of our commands uh, and a bunch of small businesses. One small business asked a question that I would love for both of you guys to answer given that we are in this time of COVID uh, while we're recording this. And it was, does the command have any intention of relaxing the one-year requirement for spending money and allowing the money to be spent for a longer period of time? Which from a kind of budgeteer's perspective, I think I did what, what Bill may have just done. I thought I heard him in the background going, hmm, what's the, what's the opportunity to do that? Does the government have that ability? Does the command have that ability to relax the, the, the time that money can be spent given this, this crazy pandemic that we're in? Well, the, the simple answer is, is no. The, the command doesn't have the authority to extend the life of the appropriation. That would have to be a move by Congress. Right. Um, and, and then, you know, flow down to the services, uh, within or, or the federal government to allow that to happen. My view is, is that they, that Congress would probably not do that. Um, and, and that I think one thing to think about though is because of COVID, there's a lot of funds that are not being spent right now. There's restrictions on travel. There's um, limited, you know, ship operations might be a little bit more limited. There's there's things that have happened because of the virus that the DOD is reacting to. And therefore, funds that were in, were going to be spent are not being spent. So in, in as as the fiscal year goes, you know, now is the time if you're really going to kind of strike and, and see what's available and, and what opportunities might be out there. There's probably going to be more opportunities for, again, those things that are sitting there in that pile of unfunded requirements for getting right. command that they might start exercising contracts that they otherwise wouldn't have had funds to, to go after. So there's probably in, in the midst of this bad environment that we're in right now, there's probably some opportunity um, when you're looking at contracting with the government. 
I think that's entirely true. I think uh, we, we've seen commands that we work with capturing, for example, all of the travel funds that were uh, expected to be spent uh, over the next six months, um, capturing them and, and redistributing them into the UFERS, the, the unfunded requirements already. So if you know the commands that you're working with um, and can get uh, them to, to push forward an unfunded requirement, this may just be the time because uh, they're not going to claw back the funds. This just may be the time to, to get some of those unfunded requirements, some of those kind of lower level priorities funded um, because the, the, the budget is not being fully expended. Although looking at the data, I don't know if you guys have looked at it or not, we're actually, for the most part, uh, at least the commands that we're working with that we're looking at their budgets, they're actually spending pretty well on target. Uh, again, travel funds are, are down. Greg, I think you're right. There's some uh, ship movement stuff that obviously has, has changed because of the virus, particularly, you know, in, in light of the Teddy Roosevelt. But for the most part, at least on contract funding, at least on the O&M type funding, we're hearing that, that they're on track. Have you heard any different than that? I have not heard differently. I, I think that part of part of the equation is going to be what actually comes from mid-year review that's mm-hmm. already basically happened and is closing out. And our command's going to you know, get additional funds as, as funds move around within the services. Right. Yeah, I I sort I I agree uh, totally. Uh, um, you know, during this FY, what I'm seeing and hearing is that the requirements and the spending inside the services is pretty much on track. While travel may be down, and travel's a major expenditure, mm-hmm. um, they're using that for the other unfinanced requirements that they have. Every command, every organization has unfinanced requirements and now is the time that they're spending that those additional no funds that they aren't obligating mm-hmm. on those unfinanced requirements. Now to get back to the COVID piece of it, instead of changing the time requirements for the different re- uh, appropriations, I would see that there would that Congress would step in if there is a large enough requirement or unfinanced requirement throughout the government mm-hmm. uh, as a result of COVID, and then they would uh, make a special appropriation to ad- address that requirement. Right. So it would be a supplemental appropriation. A supplemental, exactly. Much Not- like, like an OCO requirement, overseas right. contingency requirement. Right, 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 right. Uh, but one last thing is – these appropriations bills over the years, I remember when I was at OMB, we had a couple of uh, continuing resolutions here and there. But for the most part, uh, appropriations bills, for the most part, passed fairly quickly, um, with the big exception uh, right before I went to OMB of the government shutdown in the Clinton administration. Um, but at this point, we've gotten to... The idea that that there are no appropriations bills that really ever pass by October 1st for the next, you know, for the the ability to spend that money in the next year. And so we get to these what what they're 
what were referred to as uh, continuing resolutions, but now we've gotten to some hybrid solutions of the continuing resolutions of the omnibus or the cromnibus. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what impact that has on the ability to spend and the ability to come up with new projects and new requirements um, within those CRs, cromnibuses, omnibuses, whatever you want to, whatever you, you end up calling. Well, the omnibuses are different than the cromnibus or the, or the CR. Those CRs are basically, we didn't come to a resolution and we are, we are extending last year's funding essentially until we come up with an actual appropriations bill, right? Yeah, that, that's correct. Um, and, and it, it basically plays havoc, um, in, in, for the services. And, and I think that generally speaking, that if you have a continuing resolution, resolution, that the, um, it's at a reduced amount of whatever the prior year budget was. And that reduced amount is, is generally a percentage of the prior fiscal year authorized amount. So it puts commands kind of behind in their ability to obligate. And it also generally comes with restrictions that there's no new starts for, you know, as you're in that continuing resolution um, era. So the it, it hampers the command's ability to execute, and therefore they generally will start the fiscal year very slow and only fund those things that are, you know, actually happening and mandatory and the operations that are going on. And, and if there were any new items that were approved in the POM and and actually funded in the in the budget, but it's just not we don't have a appropriations bill yet. Those things will be set aside generally, and because they're just not legally a bit available to um, commit and obligate funds against. Now, what commands I, I at least commands that I have seen have done to combat the continuing resolution and and the fact that we've had so many over the past years is that what we're when we were talking before about one year contracts and service contracts out of the operation and maintenance account generally, the services have gotten to where they'll award those contracts for the one-year period sometime during the fourth quarter of a fiscal year. So you don't have a lot of renewals of options. You don't have a lot of new contracts starting at the beginning of a fiscal year because you can't count on the the funding being there. So there has been um, a tendency to shift all of the recurring contracts, all of the service contracts, and those types of things to where they would start in the fourth quarter and run um, one year from there. Right, right, right. And and we've seen some push. We've seen a, two different pushes, that and then also mid-year starts that are May-June time frame, because, again, they're they're grabbing that that mid-year review money uh, and and the money that, that kind of, again, after you've gotten away from that first tranche of money going to the immediate obligations, usually by that May timeframe, we're at least getting to a full year CR that is more feasible, if not a full year or the rest of the year omnibus bill or or appropriations bill. And so the, the money gets freed up in kind of that May, June timeframe. So we see a lot of those those obligations again before the end of the fiscal year or mid year instead of I think you said earlier, a lot of times the, the contract started October 1st or thereabouts. We don't see that much anymore. Right. No, that's, that's correct. I, I mean, so, you know, a CR restricts 
what, how much and how you spend your money, your funding, because it uses most, mostly the rules from the previous FY at a reduced level. Right. So, again, Greg's exactly right. So, you know, you, you'll see commands then or organizations try to move their contracts out beyond mid-year and mid-year review into then a lot of contracts uh, get start to get executed just in the fourth quarter. So mm-hmm. after the 4th of July, then many of those contracts get uh, executed and the contract officers then start protecting, you know, how, how they operate and what work they do because they're beginning to, to move into year-end close when, again, becomes hectic. So you see a lot of contracts getting executed from the March timeframe through the end of the FY. Yep. Yep. And there's, I, I know some of the, there's, there was, a Navy command that I will not name that had deadlines. Um, at one point, they had deadlines for the end of fiscal year contracting that were in the February timeframe and that, that got thrown out fairly quickly. Sure. But if you hadn't fully been ready and not just identified the requirement, but had the PWS fully drafted, um, gotten everything done by February, you were not getting a contract awarded for the end of the fiscal year, even for very, very small, very, very non-complex contracts. Obviously, some of the larger contracts take a couple of years to do, but these were even for the smallest ones. And even under the simplified acquisition threshold, that got pushed back a little bit. So it was more like May-June timeframe, but it definitely was not quick turn. Uh, You know, although depending on who's asking for it, obviously, uh, they'll do they'll do end of year quick turn if the commander is the one asking for it uh, and not you know the lieutenant down the down the hall. So okay, well this was uh, this was really helpful I think for a lot of people who don't understand government financing. Um, we could go into all of the much deeper into the 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 federal fiscal law uh, stuff, but I think this is about as much as most people can do. Uh, to understand just just the colors of money, how it gets obligated, how how it gets obligated, how it flows through, um, and how that impacts their ability to get contracts. So, thank you both. Um, thank you for being part of WWC as well. We are incredibly lucky to have probably two of the smartest federal financial managers on staff, uh, and they make our our financial management component work really really well and 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 give us some some great customer satisfaction. So I appreciate both of you uh, for doing that um, and for being part of the the podcast. Right. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, guys.